Okay, so I'm going to start with a story that's just about something stupid I did. It has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about. It's just I was stupid. So this morning, I decided I wanted something a little different for breakfast. I was going to be a little spontaneous and make some cinnamon toast. It was going to be great. I was really excited about it. Um, so downstairs, you know, I woke up early just to do this. It was great. Um, and so I got the, the bread out, butter, cinnamon, sugar. It was great. Put it in the oven. I mean, I didn't really know what time to put it on and how long to keep it in there or what temperature. But I was just going to wing it. I was like, oh, I'll just watch it. Well, I did watch it for the first 15 minutes. Oh, no. And I never saw a change in the way that it looked. So I was like, it must not be done. So I just sat down at the island and just kind of waited. I was like, maybe I'll just start feeling it. Maybe I'll smell it. And I'll just know it's time to take it out. Well, I did smell it. But I smelled smoke. And that's not what you want to smell when you're cooking. And so I like opened the, the oven and like smoke just hits me in the face. And I did, I've never had that happen before, so I kind of panicked and I shut it back close. And I was like, I don't know what to do. So I turned the oven off because that's going to fix the problem. That doesn't fix the problem. It's still smoking and it's still hot in there. It stays hot for a long time. So needless to say, I didn't have cinnamon toast this morning. I had an Eggo, but it was Mickey shaped, so it's okay. And... I guess the kind of point of me telling that was the story today doesn't really have a happy ending. It doesn't end in Mickey Waffles at all. It really ends kind of sad and I'm not really used to that. So we're going to see how it goes. So we're going to be talking about Jeremiah. If you've never read Jeremiah, there's 52 chapters of Jeremiah, so we're just going to cover them all. So I hope y'all brought a snack. Um, no, I going to try to briefly run over it, and, you know, if it doesn't work out, we'll just read the whole thing together, and it'll be fine. So, Jeremiah was a prophet of the Israelites in the southern part of Israel during their exile, and it, he was right before and during, so he was keeping, trying to keep the Israelites from going into exile, but he didn't have one convert, not one person ever listened. And at the end of his life, he continued to prophesy until being stoned to death because of what he taught. No one ever listened to him, and he sat in the countryside and wept for a long time over the fact that he had to watch everyone that he loved and cared about die. So as happy as that is, we're going to try to bring the gospel into that and why God would let Jeremiah suffer like that. So... Their uh, judgment would specifically last 70 years. So several people would die in, during the exile, and they would never see Jerusalem again. Um, so when Jeremiah was called, he was called um, in Jeremiah 1.10, and the Lord said, Today I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow, Others you must build up and plant. So Jeremiah is basically called 
to take everything that the Israelites have known from this point and turn it on its head. He's going to tell them that everything they've been teaching is not what's going to be happening from this point forward. So in Jeremiah 7, 1 through 10, that's where we're going to start. And we're going to kind of work through the book as far as we can. So we'll read the whole thing and then we'll go back through it. 7 verse 1 says, The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, Go to the entrance of the Lord's temple and give this message to the people. O Judah, listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to it, all of you who worship here. This is what the Lord says of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. But don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here, the Lord's temple is here. But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. Only if you stop your murdering. And only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols. Then I will let you stay in this land that I gave to you to your ancestors to keep forever. Don't be fooled into thinking that you will never suffer because the temple is here. It's a lie. Do you really think you can steal, murder, commit adultery, lie, and burn incense to Baal and all those other new gods of yours, and then come here and stand before me in my temple and chant, we are safe, only to go right back to to all those evils again? So in... uh, Verse 2, Jeremiah is told to stand in front of the temple and basically rebuke everyone in the temple and outside of it. He's told to tell every single person that everything they're doing at this point is wrong. And I don't know if you've ever had to tell someone that they're wrong, but that's not easy within itself, much less preaching to an entire nation that they're doing the wrong thing. So there was actually three basic things in there that they were doing wrong, and throughout the book of Jeremiah, which we can't read all of it, he points out these three things uh, by themselves. So the first one is idolatry, and throughout Jeremiah, he compares it to adultery, and the second one is immortal leadership and false prophets, um, because the leaders were leading the people into doing the wrong thing, and at this point, um, the political leaders were the same as the religious leaders. So everything was backwards. Um, and they were not listening to what God actually had to say, and they were listening to what false prophets said, telling them that they were fine and they should just keep worshiping these other gods, and then sort of talk to Jesus on the side, which we would never do that. And the third one is the social injustices. So at this point, Immigrants, widows, and orphans were all um, coming into their lands, seeking refuge. Widows just happened, and orphans also just happened, and they were pushing them to the side. They weren't acting like they exist, and I mean, we all know that we're called to the widows and orphans and the people that need love, and they were not giving them hope at all. So even at this point, it says... Um, Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. So God's offering this last minute, I'm going to let you out. The Babylonians are coming, 
but I'll let you go if you turn to me and listen to what I have to say. And no one listens. And another part of this that was, I didn't even notice until I read it like the last time tonight, was that just because someone is speaking in the temple doesn't give them the authority to speak what God has to say. There's plenty of people that talk, maybe could even talk up here, that don't know what the Bible has to say, and they won't listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say. And if you don't listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say, then this isn't about God at all. It's just about them. So we're going to skip ahead and see what happens in Jeremiah 29, verse 4. So we'll uh, read through it and we'll go back through it. Starting in verse 4. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams. So, God has sent them into exile. They're in Babylon, most of them. They're under Babylon rule, and everything seems terrible. But God's telling them, I'm not going to let your, your nation fall apart. There's still hope for your nation, even in this terrible exile, even though you're being persecuted for what you think. God's bringing them back to him, but he still gives them hope and life, and he's still with them. God allows them to prosper despite their rebellion. And in verse 8, it references back to the verse we just read, and it talks about how not everyone that preaches and prophesies in the Lord's name is true, and discernment is necessary. There's lots of people that say this is what the Lord says, and it's not what God has said at all. And in verse 11, it says, after 70 years, they will be delivered. 70 years. So this is when the Israelites find out that most of them, some of them aren't going to make it out of Babylon. It's going to be, this is where they're going to die because they didn't listen to what the Lord said. In verse 9 it says, Because they are telling you lies in my name, I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for seven years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. 
If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. So, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. It's like the most quoted Bible verse out there. I you hear graduations, homecomings, you know, it's out there. But it's not really what we think it is when we start reading. It doesn't necessarily mean that your suffering is going to end quickly or in your lifetime. That's not what God's saying. Your hope is that it ends soon, and you can pray that that happens, and that's not a bad thing to pray. But if your faith is that it will end immediately, your faith is going to be destroyed. When Kenneth was sick, there were lots of people in the hospital with her, and we saw a lot of families fall away from their faith as a result of their kids having cancer. And it wasn't because they went through something different than we did. Our faith wasn't that Kenneth was going to be healed on this earth. If it would have been, it probably wouldn't be here. Our faith was that the Lord had her and he did know the plans he had for her. And the plans were for her good. And it may not look that way. And we may still grieve her death still to this day. And I will for the rest of my life. But that doesn't mean that her death was for nothing. And his plans are for our good. Our good isn't necessarily what we think. But he has those plans. So next time you hear that verse, think about how... It's not about the plans that he has for you in the next five years, ten years, maybe even twenty years. It's about the plans that he has for you eternally. And the hope that we have in Jesus, not the hope that we have in something else. In verse 14, it says, When you seek the Lord, you will find him. That's the hope. The hope is not that we can just run on through life and everything's perfect. Things won't be perfect all the time and you're going to suffer. People are going to leave out of your life and things are going to hurt. But our hope is that when we seek Him, we find Him. Every time. And if you genuinely seek Him with all of your heart, you're going to find Him every single time. So we're going to flip ahead to Jeremiah 31. In verse 31, it says, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, <coughs> though I loved them as a husband loves a wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant. I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instruction deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive them their wickedness, 
and I will never again remember their sins. In verse uh, 31, it says something uh, really cool. It says um, Israel and Judah. That's the first time that hope for other nations is mentioned in this whole thing. That's us. That means that in the other translations it says for the Israelites and the nations. So God is promising a hope for other nations, not just his own. This is like the first time that his people, the focus isn't necessarily just on them. And then on verse uh, 33, it says um, something kind of weird. It says, I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. So that sounds really weird, but it's actually a reference back to when the covenant was given to Moses, and it was written on stone, which, although that's great and helpful, and it got the Israelites to this point, it's not personal. It's just a stone that anybody can, not anybody, that the priest hold it's just a stone sitting in the Ark of the Covenant in the temple. And it's not significant in most ways to just the Israelites just walking around day to day. But God says he's going to write it on their hearts. He's going to write it within you. The Holy Spirit is going to reside within you. And that makes it more personal. He's going to write his covenant and his, his desires are going to be written on your heart if you listen to what he has to say. And it also says, at the very end it says, I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's a reference back to um, Exodus 6-7. It directly says, I will be their God and they will be my people. So that takes us back to the Old Covenant. But then... In Hebrews 8.10, he says it again. So it's not just for the Israelites anymore. It's for Judah. It's for the nations. It's for us. And he says, And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. He's saying that you, don't, the, you won't have to go through a temple. You won't have to talk to some priest to hear what I have to say, I'm going to speak to you directly because that's the communication that I want to have to you. He's, he's leading to the relationship that we're going to have with Jesus and the relationship we're going to have with the Holy Spirit. So, Jeremiah watched his people and his home destroyed after he had already won them and they didn't listen. He was kidnapped by Israelite rebels and taken to Egypt and stoned to death. He was called to preach a message of repentance and destruction to the people that he loved the most. But he continued to share what God was telling him to share. And he was given the gift of prophesying Jesus in the Old Testament. And his story may not look like hope to us, but 
his story is hope because it's the story of the Holy Spirit and the, the prophesying of Jesus. And long-term, eternal hope. Not hope that things are going to get better not within the next week and a half or within the next two years or the 20 years that we talked about. Hope that life is going to be better eternally and when we reside with the Father that our hope is in Him. Jesus is the covenant of the flesh that He talked about. He's our eternal hope. He's our redemption for us and the Israelite nation. But our physical, financial, or relational suffering is not a result of a lack of faith. It's not a reason to stop loving Jesus when somebody dies, when somebody walks out of your life, or when things happen. That's not a reason to let God fall out of your life. Because our eternal suffering is directly related to our relationship with the Father. And our hope is that Maybe things aren't going to get better here, but our hope is that at the end of the day, when we meet the Father, that we see His face and He's proud of us, and He sees that our suffering is worth it, and that we have we have ful fulfilled what He's called us to be. So I have a couple questions, and then I'll be done. Have you been trying to fight your way out of suffering? If you have enough faith, if you pray enough, that things will get better. Have you questioned or abandoned God because he's putting you through trials? And would your faith and obedience to the truth of God remain as strong as Jeremiah's, even if you were stoned to death? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are, and thank you for what you've given us. God, I thank you for Jeremiah's story. Though it doesn't look like a story of hope, it's, it's hope for all of us. God, I pray that uh, you help us to listen to what you have to say in our lives and that we rely on you to end our eternal suffering. I pray that we have the faith that Jeremiah had. And I thank you for allowing your word to penetrate our hearts. God, I pray that um, throughout this week that we remember that the plans that you have for us are in your timing and are by your grace. God, I thank you for who you are and I thank you for this message.